Welcome to Setsang. Could you please talk about the topic, how to stop and just be? Well, that's almost impossible for a human being to do because it's not what we're programmed to do. People think, oh, I can stop and just be. Well, if you're still thinking, you're still doing something. And so can you stop and just be without thought, without movement? Most human adults can't. So they think, oh, yeah, I can do that. No. Unless you're really practiced, there is a very good chance you can't stop and just be. You can actually enter the moment every now and again where you're just present without thought, but can you do it on will? Can you actually do it right now without thinking? Just stop. Don't think. Just be. And how long can that last for? Unless your mind has been trained to be present to reality rather than present to dream, it's likely to that the mind will keep yakking away, which means you'll be doing something. Even if you're still, even if you're not moving, the mind is still moving. And so there's this beautiful Zen saying, sitting silently, doing nothing, spring comes and the grass grows by itself. Well, the thing about that is sitting silently doing nothing means sitting silently doing nothing, including thinking. And that's difficult because we're so used to living in our heads thinking. We, we didn't do it much at all until we went to school, but then we learned at school to live in our heads. And as a result, we suffer more than most animals on the planet because we're programmed to solve problems. We're programmed to stress out. We're programmed to worry. We're programmed to procrastinate. We're not programmed to be quiet. We're not programmed to be happy. We're not programmed to be free. And so to stop and just be, wow, that's actually quite an accomplishment, really, if you can just stop and just be. And in a way, that's what the seeker's aiming for, to be able to just be. Now, of course, then the question arrives, be what? <laughs> because you're not um, this person that you've made yourself up to be. Without your imagination, this person that you've made yourself up to be that has a past and a future doesn't actually exist, only in your imagination. You create that person by thinking, not by reality. And so when we stop and be, what are we? Who are we? What's here? What's here? That is not thinking. That is just purely aware, pure consciousness of what is. What is this? And it's beautiful. Our true nature is always, always here. It's not somewhere else. It's just as long as we've got awareness on the mind and through the senses of the world, we don't really know this that we are, this that is silent, this that is still, this that is pure consciousness, that is just awareness that is always here. 
And so the attempt is to find a way to turn awareness that is aware of the mind back to itself. And when that happens temporarily, it's called a satori. And it's a glimpse of reality. When it happens permanently, it's called enlightenment. And it actually has nothing to do with the mind. It's that that's before the mind, that that's aware of the mind. So it's not the mind that becomes enlightened. It is that that's aware, becomes aware of itself. And this is called enlightenment. And so we turn awareness back to itself through self-inquiry. The initial early problems in that is if the mind is constantly contracting uh, and resisting life one way or another, uh, it will attract awareness back to itself. And so people have satories and they go back to ego-based reality because the mind is contracting. It hasn't actually been prepared for enlightenment. So just stop and just be. I wish I could give you a simple answer. But there isn't a simple answer because you're programmed to actually live in your head. You're programmed to problem solve. You're, problem, you're programmed to worry. You're programmed to procrastinate. You're programmed to project to the future. You're programmed to remember into the past. But you're not really programmed to be. And what we are just is. It's being. But who we think we are as an I is constantly doing, constantly in movement, doesn't know how to be still. So the quest for the seeker is to be still, to still the body and still the mind so you can actually see what is real. Because as long as your mind is moving and your body is moving, it's unlikely that you're going to find awareness. It's unlikely you're going to find beingness because your awareness is locked onto all the things you're doing, whether it's thinking or movement through the world. It's locked onto that. Someone who's awake has awareness locked onto itself. And it can still be on the world, but it's locked onto itself as well. So to stop and just be, yeah, that's not a bad one. If you can master it, but it takes practice. You keep turning awareness back to itself and you keep removing any obstacle that creates contraction or resistance in your life. And in so doing, you develop a mind that is equanimous that will support enlightenment. But that's up to you. Nobody can do it for you. <laughs> a satsang teacher can get you a bit thirsty for that, but unless you're willing to do the work, well, there's not going to be much of a change, really. Because even though a satsang teacher would love to wake you up, create another light on the planet so others can see, only you can do the work through your own thirst for truth, for freedom. Only you can do that. Only you can actually support awakening in you. So once again, it comes back to you as a seeker to do whatever's required to make it work. Are there any questions, any statements, any challenges to this teaching today? Our first question is, 
when Papaji says to just stop, what does he mean? He means stop thinking. <laughs> People don't get that. They think, oh, just stop still. No, no, no. Stop thinking. Just be here. And so when he's talking about stop, he's actually talking to, when he was alive, he was talking to people who were in his presence, uh, in his satsang. Because in the presence of someone who's awake, it's actually relatively easy to stop thinking. Uh, it's not so easy when you're uh, by yourself. But in the presence of someone who's awake, who has a Buddha field, it's, you can stop. And in that stopping, awareness can discover itself. That that's aware of the mind, the noisiness, can discover itself. And so when Papaji says, stop, he's talking to people who are sitting right in front of him, saying, stop, just stop. And then there's the possibility of that awareness becoming aware of itself. Does letting go and just being mean I can watch TV or read a book? Or do I literally need to do nothing and watch my breath? You can do whatever you like. Doesn't really make much difference, really. Whatever you like, you can do. If you don't have a practice of uh, being present to um, reality, well, you're never going to know yourself as reality. So self-inquiry is important. Meditation is also important because without seeing through the mind, you can't remove the obstacles that are in the way. And so watching television is okay. It's not a problem with it. Reading a book is okay. But they're not spiritual practices. They're not practices that are going to raise your consciousness levels. And they're definitely not practices that are going to wake you up to truth. But there's nothing wrong with them in themselves. It's just that if that's all you do, well, you're just going to stay the same. I like when you speak about being a human being instead of a human doing. Is doing in the way of higher consciousness? In a lot of ways, yes. It keeps us, it keeps our awareness out from itself and onto the world. And so when we've got awareness on the world, it's not turned back to itself. It's a distraction, you could say. For the seeker, the seeker is looking to turn awareness onto itself, onto truth. And so any kind of doing uh, tends to be a bit of a distraction. And we're not looking for distractions. We're looking to find truth. We're looking to turn that that's aware of the mind, that, that is pure consciousness, onto itself. And so watching television's okay. Watching, doing whatever you like is okay. Computers are okay. But there has to be alongside of that somewhere a practice of uh, undoing the mind and a practice of turning awareness back to itself in some way. Meditation facilitates seeing through the mind. Self-inquiry facilitates turning awareness back to itself. If you don't have those practices, well, not much is going to change, I'd say. Rebecca asks, does part of the practice involve being discerning about who we spend time with? Or is that discernment just another judgment from the mind? I feel like it's increasingly difficult to raise consciousness if I spend time with people who have energy that is dense in nature. Yeah. The people we hang out with, unfortunately, affect us a great deal. 
we start to take on their understandings, their beliefs, their way of life and their energy. And so if we're really interested in higher consciousness, it's best for us to hang out with people who are into higher consciousness, who are actually going in the same direction as us. Uh, if you want to get lost, hang out with the wrong type of people, you'll get lost. Unless you're really, really strong. And if you're really, really strong in your higher consciousness and your spirituality, why would you want to hang out with people going in the wrong direction? And so it's, it, is, it is difficult. Seekers have to make some pretty hard decisions in their lives as to who they do hang out with and what they get involved in um, because they want to go to higher consciousness. So there's certain things that don't support that. And on some level, we know what those things are, but quite often they're inconvenient. So we don't want to, we don't want to um, get involved in what we need to get involved in. But the people you hang out with, uh, it's very important, actually very important, because it's going to affect you strongly. Energetically wise, if you hang out with people who are dense, well, you're going to lose your clarity. And if you lose your clarity, you're going to lose your way. Uh, that's just how it is. Clarity is extremely important. Being able to see clearly is very important. And so hanging out with the right people and having clarity that will support higher consciousness. Anything less probably won't. I hope that helps, Rebecca. The next question is, how can I practice just being when I have to juggle work and family life as well? Well, I managed. I had um, a wife and three kids to take care of and I had to run a naturopathy and psychotherapy practice and I ran um, groups at night time and I still managed to do all my spiritual practices and raise my consciousness levels. I used everything uh, as an opportunity for acceptance so I could learn surrender. I developed present moment awareness of what was around me by putting my awareness on what was around me rather than what I was thinking. So I teach lay people how to wake up in the marketplace. I'm not teaching monks or nuns who have locked themselves away in a monastery or an ashram. Enlightenment is available for people in the marketplace if they're willing to do the work on themselves, if they're willing to self-inquire, if they're willing to take away the obstacles. we have to completely give up our identity to just be? No, you don't give up your identity. That's not what happens. What happens is you wake up and your identity as an I, as an ego, is seen for what it is. Absolutely mythical. And there's no interest in it anymore. So it atrophies. So you don't give it up. It just fades away. It atrophies because it's obviously not real. It's like you've been at a fancy dress party and for some reason you were hypnotized into believing you were the costume. And suddenly you wake up and you say, hey, I'm, this is ridiculous, I'm not the costume. I'm pure beingness. Vishant, 
Often when I ask you what you're doing the next day, you say you don't have a plan. Do you literally just wait and see, or do you make plans? Other people make plans for me, it's really cool. I do keep a diary if I have things that I need to attend, but I don't hold any of it in my mind. I love freedom, and living in your head is not freedom, that's imprisonment. We are not the mind, we are not the body, we are pure beingness, and we don't have to exist in our heads, we can exist as pure beingness. And so I exist as presence, <laughs> and my body and my mind has a diary. I don't have a later, and I don't have a before, I have a now, because now is the only time that is real. Is trust involved in being able to just be? For the mind to surrender unconditionally, trust is required. Trust is letting go and letting God. And that's difficult for a human being because it runs against our survival mechanism. It goes against nature. We are programmed to survive. We are programmed to struggle. We are programmed to hang on to the very bitter end. And so for someone to actually have mastered their mind and surrendered that survival mechanism is a pretty big deal. But if we're truly interested in higher consciousness and enlightenment, that's the requirement. Because unconditional surrender is what supports enlightenment, nothing else. And everything gives you this opportunity. Everything that goes wrong, everything that you don't agree with, gives you this opportunity to practice acceptance, to practice let go, if you want. Or you can just practice resistance and righteousness and stay stuck as an ego. We're given these choices. What choices do you make? You sum up spirituality very succinctly when you say, just learn acceptance and surrender. Did you ever see the Buddha put it that simply? Yeah, he sat under the Bodhi tree and he wasn't going to move until he woke up. He surrendered unconditionally. I don't think you can get more simple than that. He didn't sit under the Bodhi tree and meditate. He didn't sit under the Bodhi tree and do anything. He sat under the Bodhi tree and surrendered, which is actually a non-doing. I think he put it pretty succinctly. He woke up. Why is surrender so powerful? It's an absence of the mind. It's an absence of the problem. Beingness is always here. Pure awareness is always here. It's aware of the mind and through the senses of the world. It's always here. But while the mind's rattling away with its numerous creations, uh, awareness tends to be locked on it. When the mind surrenders, it becomes silent. Then it's easy for that that's aware to become aware of itself. It's not easy for that that's aware to become aware of itself while the mind is rabbiting on. Surrender is the end of the rabbiting on. What do I do when I'm sitting in silence? Nothing. <laughs> and is it important to sit in silence every day? 
it's important to practice openness. It's important to practice self-inquiry. It's important to be present to what is real. That is all. If you practice openness, it means you'll take your defences down to do that. You'll take anything that contracts you away to support that. And now you'll find heart. You keep practicing openness and your ego will start to disappear because ego is basically a contraction in itself. An identity that lives in contraction. Just keep practicing openness, keep being present to what is real. And everything's real except what you think. And self-inquire. Who's aware? What's aware? Who am I? This is all that really needs to happen. I make it sound very simple, but it's actually difficult for human beings to do because it's not how we were programmed. We were programmed to survive. And so we will struggle and strive and think and worry and angst because that's what we've been programmed to do. We were never programmed to be happy. We were never programmed to be free. And so only pretty much as an adult can you learn what you need to learn to get free? And that's going to be up to you. No amount of collecting knowledge will help you. Only practice will help you. The practices of openness, meditation, and self-inquiry. Can you explain what truly letting go and trusting looks like? Yep, non-doing. <laughs> if you can't get that, I'm really sorry for you. But that's it. It's a non-doing. I noticed that I put a lot of energy into chasing success and avoiding failure. Does success or failure matter to you? I think uh, all human beings, whether they're awake or they're not awake, uh, would prefer succeeding at what they attempt rather than failing at what they attempt. The difference probably between someone who's awake and someone who's not awake in failing and succeeding is the person who's awake is okay with failure. doesn't mean that they attempt to fail, it just means that they are even. Success and failure are treated the same way. It's all good. It's all acceptable. No angsting. How can I still achieve goals in life and get to where I want to be? Easy. Set a goal. Only takes a few seconds. When it comes time to make the goal occur or do what's needed to do, you execute the plan. Simple. No need to procrastinate. No need to think about it. Make it so. Do you think that we need to leave the modern, fast-paced Western way of life to have a chance in enlightenment? To some degree, yes. To some degree, yes. There's certain jobs that won't support higher consciousness or enlightenment. Unless you can find a way to be cool, it's difficult. Unless you can find a way to develop a mind that is restful, it's going to be difficult. Because the angsty mind that is moving at 10 million miles an hour is not going to support higher consciousness or enlightenment. 
And so, yeah, we need to find a way to relax our minds, to be at peace with ourselves, to be at peace with the world. And this comes through the practice of acceptance. As we accept the world the way it is, people the way they are, we can relax. While we're in non-acceptance of what is, it's difficult to relax. And it is not an uptight mind that supports enlightenment or higher consciousness. It is a relaxed mind. And so it's very beautiful to develop a relaxed mind, but it's a little bit unusual to find someone who has a relaxed mind who is still in the marketplace not using drugs or alcohol or anything else because it's not something we learned to do at school. What we learned to do at school is just stress out and get the answers, problem solve. But that doesn't actually help us in, the, in finding ourselves as truth, in raising our consciousness levels, or finding our own hearts. We need to be open and we need to be relaxed. And so every endeavor and whatever job we're doing needs to somehow support that. What would it take to not need to know what the future holds? Be present to the moment. I don't need to know anything about the future. It doesn't really matter. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's really nice to be present without you know, having a thought about later, whether that's hope or whatever, or fear. It's really nice just to be. Not having a thought about the past. Not having a thought's pretty good. Just being. What would it take? Well, it takes a fair bit of discipline if you've got a monkey mind. And that's what people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that you actually have to do something to find higher consciousness. They want to, they want to get it like you go down the pharmacy to get a drug to fix something, pay a bit of money and get free. No, that's not how it works. You have to train your mind to be relaxed. You have to train your mind to let go. You have to train your mind to self, to be present to reality. You have to train your mind to self-inquire. It's not going to happen by itself. You're going to run true to whatever programming has been put in you. And if you have a good look, it probably is not making you that happy. When I sit silently, I often notice thoughts of all the things I have to do. How can I put an end to this? Well, it's just a habit really, isn't it? You have the habit of um, running through your mind, your diary of things you have to do. I stopped doing that, oh, gosh, 35 years ago when I decided to buy myself a one-page diary, every, a day, a day, a one-page per day diary. And, um, I just wrote things in that and then I forgot them. Uh, if I needed to know what I was going to do, I just referred to my diary. I decided that I didn't want to hold everything in my head anymore. I had the capacity to, but I could see the problem. I used to keep flicking through my diary in my head. In other words, I wasn't present to reality. I was present to what I was thinking. And I could see clearly that that wasn't a good way to live. So I got a uh, one-page diary. Nowadays, I just have a phone that has a calendar on it. And if there's anything in there, uh, it'll notify me. It'll say, hey, there's something coming up.
<laughs> we don't have to live in our heads if we don't want to. Technology today is amazing. Sacha would like to ask a question. Hi, Sacha. Hello, Islam. Islam, how we can manage our silent witness into marketplace? Well, I managed to do it, Sacha. I've had a silent witness now since the early 80s when I first started meditating. And it's like this observer that watches the mind in that way. Uh, I don't get too reactive. I'm more um, responding. Uh, if we don't have a silent witness or any detachment from the mind, we're likely to move uh, through reaction. But when we have a silent witness, an observer, uh, we're likely to move through response, which is always a much safer way to go and a more productive way to go and a less insulting way to go. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Satcha. Meditate, Satcha. Develop a silent witness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Okay. Arun has a question. Hello, Arun. Hi, Vish. Hi. Uh, my question is it's actually a follow-on from such as is it possible or put it this way thus far when i've been at work using my mind um, i haven't really been able to use my mind and <clears throat> behind it still be aware of the wit the silent witness um, yeah. is it actually possible to do that yes it is but it takes okay. It's absolutely possible, but it takes practice. And so it's like you're detached from everything to some degree, while, even while you might be doing surgery or something like that, you're still detached. There's still something that's witnessing. But that takes quite a lot of practice. It's not normal. Normally people are lost in their minds doing what they're doing. And so developing that observer or that silent witness takes a fair bit of uh, discipline over time. And... What, what if it's a very mentally intensive task? I, I find, for example, say, you know, if I'm helping out in a surgery, which happens from time to time, um, I can I can just observe because it, it's a physical action mostly, and I'm not required to make critical decisions often. But if I'm say say I'm thinking through a problem. I find that when I'm in that thinking process, uh, thus far, I haven't really been able to establish a witness. Um, and, and the reason I ask you this question is because I went to try to find an answer to the question on Osho's website. And he says that um, in part of his discourse, he said, when the mind is minding, then he said, the witness cannot be there then. And he says, because the witness exists in between thoughts. So if you're continuously going from thought to thought to thought when you're using your mind, then my deduction from that was that you can't witness at that point. Okay, that's not my experience. Okay. My experience is that the, the silent witness watches all the time and as a result, there is a distance from everything all the time, mm. uh, all the time, 
and because of that there's more there's responses rather than reactions um, but that I, I, I don't I'm not familiar with that particular um, passage of Osho's so I can't really make a comment on it though his whole teaching was about developing the silent witness yeah yeah and watching the mind and watching the world from an observer position because I, I, just to continue with our conversation, when I sit for meditation, I can watch the thoughts come and go, but it, it's because now anyways, they're not in a constant flurry. And so I notice the gaps in between the thoughts and they're becoming, the gaps are becoming lo longer and the thought periods are becoming shorter. But when, when I flip into a state where I'm actively using the mind, say I'm reading a book and then trying to like come, come up with some conclusions from what I'm reading, then I find that I lose the witnessing state very quickly. I start with it when I sit down with the book and then as soon as I become engrossed in it, then I lose the witness. Yeah. That, that doesn't matter. It, just keep practicing. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you fail. That's, that's, that's how we learned to walk. We fell down. You just keep practicing until you develop uh, more distance from your own mind. Uh, there comes a point where you can actually do complex things and still be present of what the mind's up to. I, I got involved in um, taking computers apart, putting them back together and reprogramming them. And I found that I could do that with the silent witness present. Yep. Okay. Yep. That, that was my question. I just wanted to know if I was trying to do something when I was using my mind and also trying to witness that was actually not possible. It, look, I think it's quite difficult for anyone to develop a silent witness that stays there all the time. You know, you just got to keep practicing until it gets better and better. So for you now is the, the witness you, I think you said, is there all the time? All the time. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Arun. The next question is, when I've heard other teachers talk about surrender and just being, it sounded a lot easier. What is the truth? The truth is it's very hard. <laughs> That's the truth. But uh, I, I, my, the teachers that I preferred were the teachers who told me the truth without watering it down. The ones that gave it to me cordial strength. I wasn't interested in... Um, homeopathic truth I wanted it straight and I found that the teachers who watered it down I didn't go and see I wasn't attracted to them because I found that it wasn't effective what they were teaching I wanted to know exactly what I had to do exactly what the deal was I didn't want some fairy floss understanding of what had to happen to raise my consciousness levels or enlightenment and so I became the type of teacher who tells the truth without watering it down, without actually making it flowery. Because I think that seekers, genuine seekers, deserve the truth straight. Arun would like to ask another question. Okay. Hi, Vish. I just want to ask you, Another question in the same line of thought that I was asking you before. Uh, <clears throat> so when I'm doing my practice outside of anything that requires me to be doing work, I've currently been trying to be conscious of every 
thing that I do. So, you know, like when I pick up the cup that I drink out of or my steps when I'm walking or my body position as I'm going through, I try to be conscious of everything. And, uh, and then I read something recently, <laughs> again, when I was at my show's website, um, and it said, you must become more conscious. So the first thing is to be more conscious in whatsoever you are doing. I am not interested in the content of your doing, but with the consciousness of your doing. Once Be again, talking about witnessing. Yes. So does it, so because you know, in some ways I find it quite exhausting to watch every movement that I'm doing, but mm. I take it that that's the practice that I must do. So I do it. Whereas, you know, but I can at the same not, time. Hang on. You don't yet have a default pattern of a um, uh, an observer. You ha you're using discipline to create this default pattern, but it hasn't become a default pattern yet. And so I don't have any effort whatsoever to have an observer because it's a default pattern in my mind now. Right. Okay. It was created through practice, the same as every default pattern of your mind was originally created through practice, repetition. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're practicing. Basically, that's that's you're still practicing. So, which so if so, I could choose it at any point in time. I could choose to be conscious of. Let's just go with movement for the, for this example. I could be conscious of my hand moving, um, me holding my phone in my other hand as I speak to you, and my lips moving, or I could just be conscious of the ambient awareness all around me and not as conscious of my hand moving, which is better. What about both? Yeah. So I've, I've tried to be conscious of both and I just noticed that I cannot be conscious of either with maximal intensity. So if I try to be ambient plus notice the movements of my hands and feet and whatnot, then it feels like, the ambient becomes where most of my attention goes and the movement of the hands and feet feel like just these little twinkles on the periphery. They don't have as much intensity. Whereas if I physically, if I stop and put all my attention on my hand moving, there's much more intensity in that observation. Okay. So we've got to look at the reason that Osho is talking about observing and developing that observer. And basically the reason is to quieten the mind down to create a mind that is restful because a mind that is restful will support higher consciousness and enlightenment. And so you've got to look at, well, what's Osho up to when he's teaching mindfulness training or observing? He's, he's up to something, you know, he's a teacher. And what he's up to is he's up to teaching you to actually have a relaxed mind that you're not involved in. And then that that's aware of the mind can become aware of itself beingness can become aware of itself so you've got to look at what's he aiming at what's his goal in what he's teaching and okay. uh, the goal's simple he's trying to get you to relax your mind he's trying to get you to be detached from your mind so awareness can lock onto itself yeah okay because i find it much more relaxing for my mind to to be ambient when i don't need to use it but you know and then I, I read a conflicting thing that says you must be conscious of every movement that you do. And I think, okay, well, yeah. Know, maybe
but that's because he's teaching you see he's teaching when we go into discipline and discipline is practice right what you're practicing developing a, a silent witness or observer is discipline and it takes effort once that silent witness becomes a default pattern of the mind no efforts required then mm. but until it, it, until it actually happens that it's there all the time without any kind of discipline there's going to discipline itself is is effort yeah. and discipline is basically so simple it's just giving yourself no choice yeah, yeah. and we're not good at it because <laughs> because we've all been programmed to look for comfort and um and avoid displeasure or pain and so it runs against our primal programming to actually start disciplining our minds as adults yeah 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 it's um yeah i guess you know different he creates different teachings for different people depending on where they are so sometimes things may conflict and yeah he's teaching look behind it from from beginners to people who are close to enlightenment so there's different teachings at different stages for different people yeah so you so based on this little conversation we've had your suggestion is to pick the thing that i can be conscious of that allows my mind to relax the most essentially because that's the whole idea of doing the sadhana right well, it is and it isn't, uh, because if you're actually having to use discipline to create a default pattern, that's not that relaxing, really. Um, it's a bit like when you first start watching the breath uh, at the lip. It's not relaxing in the beginning because you have to use effort or discipline to actually do it. After a while of practice, and we're talking a long while of practice, there's no discipline at all. You just stay with the breath and then it's very easy. And then it's easy for the mind to relax. But while we're learning new things through discipline, the mind is not going to be that relaxed. Okay. This um... example of that is you're working as a doctor and you've been doing it for a few years now. So a lot of what you do is easy. But when you first started, it was quite difficult. You had to really put a lot of concentration into it and it wasn't very relaxing. But now yeah. a lot of it for you now would be effortless. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was going to be my next um, statement to what you were saying was, I remember some time back reading something from the Indian sage um, Nisargadatta Maharaj, and he was, someone had said to him, um, you know, with regards to the actions of his body, it's, the questioner said to him, it seems like you're suggesting that your physical actions have almost become robotic or computerized. And he responded saying basically like there's no harm in making repetitive habitual things re re automatic. Like I don't need to think about me going to the toilet to do, you know, a poo or anything like that because my body knows to do that. So it's like some things my body has already learned to do. So I don't need to be aware of them all the time. I can just try and rest, keep my attention somewhere in I don't know, in being ambient or what do you think about that? You're absolutely right. It's just about everything I do is automatic. Even talking to you now is automatic. I'm not thinking while I'm talking to you. I've been so long. It's just default patterns. So when, so when you don't think when you speak or when you do you know, any of your actions, you're just in resting in awareness essentially or the silent witness. Is that right? 
Well, always resting. Awareness is always on itself, 24 hours a day. Mm. But my mind is either resting or not resting, but most of the time it is resting because it, it just being this is very beautiful. Mm. Uh, but I don't have to use my mind that much because I've done, I have, I live a very ritualized life in a lot of ways. Mm. I do the same things every day, including what I'm doing now, including talking to you and talking to you about truth and talking to you about the mind. This mm. is all default pattern stuff now because it's been said so many thousands of times. Yeah. So in that instance, then, you know, the things that are, that my mind has habitualized and ritualized, you know, for example, the things, some, many of the things that I do at work, which I've now, as a result of, you know, what I was saying before about how I've tried to be more conscious of everything that I do, can I just let those habitualized things do themselves and I just keep my awareness on ambient awareness as much as I can? If they have, if they are default patterns that are working fun properly, yes. If okay. they're not default patterns that are working properly, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, especially if you're doing surgery. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or, or driving. Driving's another common one that I think of, that I've been thinking of recently when I've been doing it. I think, well, obviously I'm going to concentrate when I'm on the road, but also if some of these, you know, statements about, you know, ritualized patterns are true, then it's like, well, my, my mind knows to drive my car. Like I can be in ambient awareness and just the car's not going to drive itself is what my mind then tells itself. It's actually what happens. I don't drive the car. The car drives itself. Yeah. <laughs> because I've been doing, well, I've been driving vehicles now for 49 years or something like that. You know, it's like, it's just automatic. It's like riding a push bike. You can ride a push bike and have an argument with the person next to you and not even be aware that you're riding the push bike. It's all happening by itself. Yeah. So the and overarching thing that I take out of all of this is you must, for the, for the seeker anyways, um, is to be conscious all the time. But some things that are habitualized will just happen on their own. So as long as something you are conscious of as much as possible, then that's the path forward. So we've got to look at why we're not conscious. And the reason we're not conscious is because we usually have our awareness on thoughts and we're caught yeah. in dream. And so yeah. it's about getting out of dream and being present to what is real. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I'm starting to understand. Well, you look at you look at it. If you're if you're doing surgery and you're you're dreaming about it, you're thinking about it too much. The chances are you're going to muck it up. Yeah. You have to be one hundred percent present when you're being when you're doing surgery. Yeah, yeah. That's Correct. life. That's life. That's life for the sage. The sage is one hundred percent present all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's why I found you know with things like surgery or sport is that um, it's so enjoyable because it, the the nature of the activity forces me to be present because otherwise I mess up. And and that's why I got involved in, uh, in in extreme sports. I didn't know it at the time, but I was I just loved the moment. I loved being present. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'll hopefully see you Friday evening. I would have liked to have uh, done surgery, but I never I never got a medical degree. Damn. It's um, it's yeah, it's definitely enjoyable. But over the recent years, it's um, 
become very, and this is, you know, it, it has gone this way for the benefit of the patient, but it has become so super, super, super specialized in the sense that you can only do one very small thing. So if you used to be a bone surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon, you could do the whole body and then, you know, it became upper limb or lower limb. And now it's like you specialize not only in just hip or knee or ankle, you specialize in the left knee or the right knee. It's so specialized that it becomes, you do a lot of training and then you just become a robot doing one thing again and again and again and again. And it becomes quite boring actually. I got a new one for you, Arun. It's called energetic surgery. One of my friends, Emma, just put it up on the, on the screen here. Energetic surgery. <laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> well, energetic surgery involves the removing of densities from other human beings. Oh, right. Yeah. That sounds interesting. That actually does sound interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you learn to do that? Well, first of all, you've got to become open enough to perceive the energy that human beings are putting out. And some human beings carry um, very painful energy inside of themselves that can actually be removed. All right. It affects the way they think and it affects their bodies. But this is to be to move into that world, you've got to become quite silent and still inside yourself so you can perceive the energies. Mm. Other thing you have to do is you have to become emptier than they are because energy always flows from full to empty. Yeah. Mm. So it comes towards you. A whole nother world, Arun. Mm. <laughs> A whole nother world. <laughs> Thanks again, Vish. Thank you, Arun. The next question is, I find it easier to be present in dangerous situations like extreme sports than in everyday life. Why is that? Because they're dangerous situations, that's why. You're, you're at risk, that's why. So you've gone on guard. You're, you're present because it's not safe to not be present. That's why I, I think I used to race motorbikes and motor cars. I just loved being present and uh, playing rugby and uh, doing uh, martial arts because I love being present. Uh, it is a danger element. It, it, it demands present moment awareness. If you dream, you die. It's simple. But for it to become a default pattern to be that present all the time, uh, that usually takes practice because we've got to recover ourselves from the dream that we're living in. And that means putting awareness on what is real instead of constantly putting awareness on what is not. And the only thing that is not real is what you think. Is present moment awareness the same as just being? No. Don't know. So there's something aware of the mind and through the senses, the mind sees the world. And so the mind can be um, just aware of the, of the world. But there's something else. There's something behind it. What's this that's aware of the mind? That's of interest. We can be aware of the mind, but can we be aware of that that's aware of the mind? Can we be aware of the thing behind the mind? Because that's who we really are. Pure consciousness, pure beingness. And that's the quest of the seeker, to find that as self. Most human beings think that they are... Uh, who they think they are, this uh, concoction of ideas and understandings and reference points that calls itself I, and they think they're a body. That's just not true. 
before the mind we are we are pure beingness and we are always here and so the quest is to live as that and that is true being you live as pure presence but you're also achieving a lot in the material world is it possible for someone who's not awake to be in the marketplace without losing touch of silence and stillness Is it impossible for someone who's not awake to be in the marketplace without losing touch of silence and stillness? Of course it is. I've always been very present. I love the present moment. I, I'm not into dreaming. I never really have been. I saw it as too dangerous. My lifestyle, my whole lifestyle, my whole life has been dangerous. If I wasn't present, I, if I was a dreamer, I would have died. I love the moment. I don't love dream. I watch people in dreams suffer and and they insist on suffering because they're dreaming and they're believing their dream to be true. When you move into the moment, when you move out of your head into the moment, suffering ceases. People hurt themselves with the way they think. Get real. Be with what's real. Meditation needs to be every moment. Aware of what is real every moment. Most animals are pretty much like that. They're aware, pretty, you know, wild animals that is not domestic animals. They're pretty much aware every moment of what's around them. They're not living in their heads thinking. And as a result, they don't suffer like human beings do. The more you live in your head thinking, the more you suffer because you've been programmed to problem solve. Problem solving is not uh, happiness. It's resistance. Resistance is suffering. When I'm at work, I'm constantly thinking of what I'm going to do next. How can I be present when trying to be productive? When I'm at work, I'm constantly not thinking of what I'm going to do next. Wow. And I seem to be pretty productive, get things done, make things happen. I remember when I used to live in my head, I'd probably get more done. More, more acumen in the material world, but yeah, I don't care. Life's good. Why would you want to live in your head? It's a terrible place to live. Better off putting awareness on what's real. Living in reality, because the truth is you can't live in your head anyway. You can exist there, you can't live there, because it's not real. You can only live in reality. The more in your head you are, the less likely you are to be living. You could be existing somewhere, but you're not living. To really live this life, to really squeeze the juice out of life, you have to be present to reality. And think about it. Who would you rather be hanging out with? Someone who's living in their head or someone's actually in present to you? I've heard the quote, sitting silently, doing nothing, spring comes and the grass grows by itself. How can we achieve this in the marketplace? Watch me. I find 10 day Vipassana meditation retreats very uncomfortable for the first few days. And then by the end, I feel a sense of peace. Is this what is meant by to stop and just be? 
No, that's what's meant by hurt yourself for a few days so you can find some peace and lose it again 24 hours after you stop. That's what that's called. I don't advocate for Vipassana meditation uh, groups for 12 days or 10 days. I advocate meditation every day. A viewer asks, doesn't watching television keep us in our heads? Not necessarily. You can be a witness of the television without thinking. You don't have to um, be living in your head. You can just be the witness of what's happening on the screen. Or you can be thinking about it. It's up to you. Sometimes I can't stop doing things around the house and I've come to recognize that it usually keeps me away from feeling. Is there a way for me to become more conscious of when doing is used as an escape and when it's not? Yeah, stop doing, see what happens. See, if you stop doing, then whatever you're escaping from will show itself because you're not escaping it anymore. When under pressure, I find I stress out. So I like to plan my life so I can be as prepared as possible so I don't stress out and get triggered. What would I have to do to stay calm in chaos? Be prepared to let go of control because basically you're talking about a need to constantly control, which is stressful in itself. Let go of control. Let go, let go let go and let God. Your constant controlling is going to keep you stressed out anyway, no matter what. Does regular meditation help me to learn to just be? Or is there another practice that can help with this? <laughs> Only people who don't like meditation ask that question. <laughs> Meditation in the beginning demands discipline and people don't like disciplining themselves. But if you really want to find a way to relax your mind and have clarity and see through your mind, develop the silent witness, you have to practice. And it's going to be uncomfortable in the beginning and that's just how it is. Or don't do it. It's up to you. It's your life. You create what you want. I advocate meditation because it works. I don't teach things that don't work. But unfortunately, in the beginning, if you become a meditator, it is uncomfortable because you're doing something new and you're having to use discipline. That's going to be up to you. You want to change your life, you want to get clarity, you want to get free, meditate. Thank you for that saying. Good to see you brave hearts here today. <laughs>